This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Despite howls for reform, the only thing separating us from another election disaster of the kind that hit Florida in 2000 may simply be another close vote. In her new book, The Democracy Index, Why Our Election System is Failing and How to Fix It, our guest today, Heather K. Gherkin, diagnoses what is wrong with our elections and proposes a radically new and simple solution, the Democracy Index that would rate the performance of state and local election systems. Gherkin is a professor of Yale Law School, where she teaches election and constitutional law. Her writing has appeared in The New Republic, Roll Call, Legal Affairs, and The Legal Times. Heather K. Gherkin, welcome to Weekly Signals. Thank you for having me. And how are you doing today? I'm fine. Really? Weather nice in Connecticut and all? It's actually almost 90 degrees here. I feel like we are in California. Wow. 90. You're going to beat us by about 20, 25 degrees today. (laughs) uh, Are you staying away from the swine flu? As as is everyone, doing our best. (laughs) Very good. Now, now the democracy index really sounds like something that that should have already been in place right now. That it it should we should have some sort of form of monitoring our election system where we can compare what the states are doing since they're all responsible. can you just tell us, before we get into that, what's the genesis of your book? How did you get started uh, going down this trail? Well, you know, there's this puzzle in election reform, which is uh, that we haven't changed that much since 2000. Uh, so 2000 was a crisis that was so terrible that Fidel Castro, who is not a yeah. man cursed with self-awareness, threatened to send election <laughs> monitors to Florida. Yeah. One would think that might have provided some serious impetus to make our system better. And yet uh, what people who know uh, this area know is that, in fact, all the problems we saw in Florida in 2000 happen all the time across the country. The only key difference was we saw them in Florida because the race was close, and usually the races aren't close. Yeah. So that that led me to sort of think about, well, why is it that we don't actually get any election reform passed that's meaningful? And I think one of the crucial problems is that we just don't see the problem. We only see it when there's a crisis, when the election is close. And then the moment the election is decided, we forget about it. Um, So we're basically trying to measure annual rainfall based on how often lightning strikes. So the idea behind the Democracy Index is to give you that annual rainfall measure. It's to give us a a sense in an ongoing way about where the problems are so we can fix them before the crisis happens. Can, it, can I'm just, I'm going to be a little bit contrarian here. I think that the 2000, Florida 2000, was the greatest civics lesson of my lifetime. And I think that it pulled back the covers on what a lot of us had suspected was the case, was in fact going on that there are all kinds of ways to game the system, uh, legal and otherwise, and that it took the United States Supreme Court in a one-off decision to kind of push the train back up onto the tracks and, and, and watch it kind of limp along. And now you're right. I mean, what you're saying is absolutely true. We haven't done anything. But it was, to me, the greatest civic, uh, national civics lessons of my li- lesson of my lifetime. Well, it's definitely one of those moments when everyone was paying attention. The problem is, is that we need to pay attention even when the election isn't closed, because right. otherwise uh, another one is around the bed. I mean, imagine if the Obama race had hinged on Minnesota. We might still not know who our president is. Yeah. 
Now, what does this democracy index uh, include? How are, would we rate, uh, what would be the best way to rate, rate each state as far as uh, uh, their voting goes? So we take the questions that matter most to everyday voters. So how long did you spend in line? How many ballots got discarded? Did the poll worker show up? Did the poll workers do their job? I mean, these are the sort of basic things that you would think we ought to already know. But let me just give you one example. One out of five states can't even tell you how many people showed up to vote on Election Day, which would an incredibly important number because if you could look at that number and then compare it to the number of votes actually counted, you'd have a pretty good read about whether the system is working. But one out of five states don't even keep that basic data. Most states can't tell you anything close to the number of registered voters that they have. They don't do surveys to find out how, whether the voting system is accessible. They don't keep track of the kinds of numbers you'd need to know if the machines are working. I mean, there are lots and lots of problems in the way states and localities uh, keep information about our system. Now, of those one in five states, is there anything that they have in common? Uh, is there a, a, a way to determine why it is that they're not keeping these statistics? Or they have a bad budget? Or yeah. No, you know, I actually um, did a ranking in the book where I ranked uh, states based, based on something very simple, which is when the Election Assistance Commission asked them for a very basic set of information about how well the election system was working, mm -hmm. uh, how much information did they disclose? And the interesting thing about the ranking is that uh, you'll see that uh, you know, North Dakota is number one. Um, that's probably size. But there are big states at the top and big states at the bottom. There are poor states at the top and the bottom. Uh, there are New England states at the top and the bottom. I, I was quite embarrassed. Uh, as a New Englander to see that Connecticut, Vermont, and Massachusetts were really low on the list, right down with South Carolina and Alabama. And you know, those are states that think of themselves as good governance states, reform states, states with lots of resources. And yet, yeah, they're doing a terrible job of keeping information on how the election system is functioning. I, I'm, that's the one figure that absolutely stuns me, that one in five states don't know how many people voted. It seems almost impossible that you would that would be the most basic thing of all if they're going to tell you who won the election uh, how can they possibly not tell you how many people voted? Well, they only tell you the number of people who succeeded in getting their ballot all the way through the system, but uh -huh. that's not the number you want if you're yeah. trying to figure out is the system working or not. Uh-huh. Right. So, so of the people who do know, do you have a percentage breakdown of how many people, as far as a, by percentage, in the better states were able to get into the uh, ballot booth and also, and go from there to getting their ballot successfully accepted. I wish we could have that number. We don't. And the reason we don't is um, that even the states that do keep this information keep it in a pretty haphazard way, and they have different definitions, and they don't pull the data together in a place where you can get it. So there's a, you could go out and try to do this research, and you might end up having to call local officials in every city and county to try to get the information. Then you could add it up yourself. But if you just wanted to go out and find this information, many places wouldn't be able to give it to you. In your research, did you go back and, I mean, I, I know news organizations have done this, did you go back and look at Florida to try and, was this part of your, to, to find, figure out what happened, but it was a percentage of votes and who, who cast their ballot in like Florida in 2000 or Ohio in 2004, or is that, that just beyond the purview of what you were trying to accomplish. Well, you know, it's not only, I mean, I'm trying to write a, a book that's about a sort of a, a bigger scope of a problem, but I'll just say that one of the things that was shocking is that when I sent my RAs out to get that kind of information, what you discovered was that it mostly wasn't available. So political scientists did their best to piece together the Florida story, um, but even then they were working on um, information that wasn't all that trustworthy. So you talk to a political scientist about this stuff, and, you know, they'll just roll their eyes and say, we really have no... Uh, 
idea in some ways um, about how, whether things are working better now than they were in 2000, unless you can do something like what MIT did. So MIT just did a voter survey study, and it discovered that about as many people in 2008, and I'm talking millions and millions, about as many people in 2008 encountered problems casting a ballot as did in 2000 based on their own self-reporting. That's a kind of remarkable statement that we haven't gotten anywhere, really, in fixing the system. Uh, the, uh, we're speaking with Heather K. Gherkin. The book is The Democracy Index, Why Our Election fa- System is Failing and How we, to Fix It. Now, this is, I, I keep uh, beating a dead horse, I guess, in this case, but as, as a baseball fan, I'm very interested in statistics, or not necessarily very interested, but I appreciate statistics. This seems to be a country that's obsessed with st- statistics and keeping track and keeping record of things and, and comparing each other and, and, and coming in first or finding out where your education system is compared to the other states. Is, can you tell us exactly why information so vital as this is, has never been tracked? Well, I mean, you're right to be shocked about it. Uh, my colleague here at Yale, Dan Esty, always says we measure what matters, and one would think the election system would matter. In some ways, uh, what has happened is um, it is the plague of localism. So because our elections are run locally, uh, even federal elections are run by local officials, it's sort of um, counties and localities have been left to their own devices, and they've been starved of resources. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, uh, you should have a lot of sympathy for your average election administrator. They're doing a really tough job with very little money, uh, getting paid sometimes minimum wage. Oftentimes, elections is just one thing that they do with their job. So, so when when you have that tough a job, it's hard just to get through this, the 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 election, let alone to keep the information that you need on it. So as a result, the people at these um, posts uh, tend to be not uh, well-trained, not trained like bureaucrats in other countries are. There's no educational system that everyone goes and gets a degree in election administration. So the kinds of things that we would just think of as a best practice, either they haven't thought to do, um, or more likely, they just don't have the resources to do at this point. Is there is there something about this that uh, speaks to sort of the maturity of our democracy, that we, that we're not... We, we went through a period, uh, and we still probably are in many places in the country, where there's a kind of machine mentality, uh, going back to, I mean, as a glaring example, of like the Tammany Hall kind of thing, where local election officials had an absolute say and sway over what happened in these elections. And, and in some manner, there's, these, there's sort of a remnant sort of culture that still permeates our election cycle. And therefore, th- there's kind of we don't want to know exactly what's going on because of the sort of local, what you're speaking of is a sort of local control. But is it, does it have to do with machine politics in some, in some way? I'm not sure if I would say machine politics everywhere, but it's just politics. So the other, you know, the Achilles heel of our system is that many places, the top election official and election officials all the way down um, are affiliated with one party or another. In fact, that's often how they get their job. Now, the the big problem, the one that we're we're well aware of, is that when someone's job with the party depends uh, on um, the calls that they make while refing the game, they're going to slant the calls. You know, so we worry about Kenneth Blackwell in Ohio, who's both chairing the Bush re-election campaign and acting as Secretary of State. And a lot of people accused him of making calls that were just designed to help Republicans. The bigger problem to me is not uh, that everyone's going to ref the game badly. I think a lot of these people are, are people of good faith doing their best. The problem is, is that when you're getting your job 
come through politics, you're not going to be trained as well as you should. I mean, what we need is what every other mature democracy has, which is a professional bureaucracy isolated from politics and the party who run the election system. That's what, when I go to other countries, they're shocked to discover the way we run our election systems. Even countries that I think most Americans would think are not as developed a democracy as we are. For example, Mexico has a very uh, good system for running its elections. Um, what we are lacking is that nonpartisan system, and, and it's a problem both in terms of slanting the calls and in terms of just having people who are professionally trained to do the job. Well, as long as we're talking about that system, how, how would you set it up? Would you make it a federal system, or would you rely on, on each state to be responsible to, uh, to put this together? Well, so there's some advantages to having uh, decentralization. So one of the things that uh, I always teach my students is that the idea behind states is having what, what we call laboratories of democracy. Uh, and, and so it's great to have the ability to experiment at different levels and see what policies work and what don't. The problem with our system is that we're running the experiments at the local level and no one is actually recording the results of the experiment. So I'm not against in any way having at least a modestly decentralized system. But I will say that there ought to be federal standards uh, that every state has to meet, uh, and there ought to be um, ways in which we take advantage of the economies of scale. So just on the data collection front, I wish that a Google millionaire would just write a program to gather data, because the lesson you know, of Walmart and McDonald's is that you can get all the information you need as long as you just have the right kind of computer system that prompts someone who's you know, giving you your hamburger to press the right buttons. The problem is we don't have that system. That could be done for a very small amount of money, and every locality could download it and, and use it, and we would suddenly have much better data collection, just by virtue of the fact that we'd use the economy of scale, we'd create one national program that everyone could use. Well, I don't understand. That's exactly right. I don't understand. People say we, the, lo- the localities, the states, uh, it's in there. I believe in the Constitution that, they're, that they are empowered to conduct their own elections. Am I... Is there a constitutional guarantee on this? Yeah, so the way it basically works is that the um, federal government can regulate federal elections, and in certain circumstances, like the Equal Protection Clause, it can regulate state elections as well. But as a practical matter, the federal government has a lot of power to regulate local elections, because all it has to do is say, whenever you run a federal election, you have to do this. That's exactly The state systems are never going to create two systems, so they'll comply with whatever federal laws you pass, just by virtue of the fact it's too expensive to do do something different. That's exactly what I'm, it's funny. That's exactly the words I've been using to describe the the solution to this is is to say, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but when we run a federal election, you got to do it our way. And you're right; they're not going to go out and spend that extra money. Why in the why after? And by the way, after you know there was a lot of uh, you know uh, noise about after two two thousand about the 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 Bush administration even put up a bunch of money for so-called election. Reform. What was it? There was a, a very well-known bill that they put together. The Help America Vote Act. Thank you. Which which did neither, and uh, uh, so. Yeah, the, the Help America Vote Act, the, the main problem, one thing it did it was useful was it provided some money. I mean, after start, the, the federal elections are sort of the, the second oldest unfunded mandate in some ways, right? So that we actually asked the states to run federal elections and give them no money until HAVA, the Help America Vote Act, uh, to do it. So the one helpful thing was it helped states buy better machines. But it didn't provide any national standards. It didn't tell the states what kind of machines um, they needed to buy or what kind of standards they needed to meet. And there was no enforcement provision. So even if it was intended to do good, it didn't give the state any power. I mean, my favorite 
part part of HAVA is it created this thing called the Election Assistance Commission. And that's supposed to be a commission, a federal commission, that are going to help Americans vote. Congress didn't fund the Election Assistance Commission for the first two years, so these poor people had to meet in a Starbucks in Washington, D.C., near a metro stop, um, because they just didn't have a building, they didn't have letterhead, they didn't have money. Now, now didn't, and it, in some ways, didn't this bill sort of accelerate some of the poor tendencies, poor, uh, the, the, the less effective tendencies in the election system? Well, what, what Congress is basically doing was playing whack-a-mole. So what did it see? It saw problems with machines. What did it do? It provided money for machines. But it didn't solve the underlying sources of the problems we saw in Florida, which is partisanship, localism, amateurs uh, running the system. So, for example, um, many states bought a set of election machinery only to discover they worked really badly, and they had to buy a new set. I think Florida voters are now on their fourth iteration of machines since 2000. So those are the kinds of things where if Congress were thinking about this systemically and not just thinking, oh, what was the last problem, but what, what are the causes of these problems? It would start to look much more closely at how much money we are using to run our elections and, and preventing partisans from running them. We're speaking with Heather K. Gergen. The book is The Democracy Index, Why Our Election System is Failing and How to Fix It. And It seems to me it's almost like a, a competitive system that you're really asking to be set up here within the index the states want to do better they want to look better they if they were all clustered in first place that would be wonderful if, if first place was good that is but in what would the on the ground what would a polling place look like ideally to you would they the voters be asked questions while they were there as they were leaving and and how would that operate well so voter surveys are actually a really elegant way of getting lots of information cheaply um, I, I call it the Walmart solution so I, if you go to Walmart and you buy something with your credit card after you sign the little pad it says do you accept the signature yes or no and then it says was the store clean today? Okay. Just one question. If we asked every voter who came in, just to answer one question, was the store clean? You know, were the, was the polling place easily accessible? How long did you spend in line? Was the poll worker helpful? I mean, these are the kinds of things that companies always think about. But we don't, even though we're, we're selling essentially the, the most precious non-commodity we have, which is the right to vote. So I would love to see um, information gathered at the polling place and then information gathered at the state and local level about how many ballots got counted, how many people showed up, how many people are on the registration list, those kinds of questions. So, so when I went to vote, uh, before I checked out, there'd be an exit poll. There'd be somebody uh, within the polling place that would ask me these questions. Exactly, or even yeah. just one question. I mean, I don't want to yeah. burden voters more. I mean, <laughs> if all we have to do is ask you one question, and we will, over uh, time and uh, across states, be able to generate a ton of data on how well the system is working. What would be the first question you'd ask? Well, I would. Um, I just think something even as basic as how long were the lines, because I think there are vast disparities, as far as we can tell from what yeah. we do see. There are vast disparities in the amount of time people spend voting. A long line is a sign of a problem. It's either a sign you didn't have enough poll workers, that the machines weren't working, you know, and lots of that the registration system wasn't working. It's a pretty good diagnostic tool. So that would be a very nice start. I mean, part of the idea of this also is to focus on what matters to voters um, in terms of performance, because one of the funny things about election reform debates is that we don't really know what best practices are. And the reason we don't know what best practices are is because we have no idea who's performing well. You simply can't figure out the answer to these questions without knowing the answer to that. Well, what, what's your take on, on machines uh, generally, voting machines? Do you have a... 
Well, you know, the, the question is, what kind of machines should people use? Yeah, what kind of machines? I mean, do you trust this, the machines? Yeah, yeah. The, the, in this, and there's another layer to this, and that is, I mean, I don't want to sound like a luddite here, but what is so horribly wrong with actual paper ballots that we can actually look and look at again to make sure that we got it right? What is so terrible about being completely? non-technologically advanced in the in the area of, of voting. Yeah, well, this is actually why m- most uh, jurisdictions favor what are called the OptiScan ballot, which looks a lot like what you filled out for an SATs. Yeah. So it, it gives you a paper ballot. You can put it in. It will tell you immediately whether the, the ballot got counted so voters can feel some reassurance that they filled it out correctly before they leave. And then you've also got a paper trail that is easily evaluated that you could use in case of a recount. So a lot of places use that. I should just say um, the computer technology exists to make a perfectly acceptable computerized voting voting scene. You know, for example, ATM machines are made by the same companies that make voting machines. But the key difference is there's no money in voting machines, and so they produce crappy little, not so uh, well-working, not so secure voting machines instead of ATM machines, which, you know, are used by most people and they trust them. So what we need is to actually do what most other countries do, which is buy them in large quantities. When you buy voting machines in large quantities, Dell and Microsoft and big, well-established companies bid on them. When you buy in small quantities, it's just dinky little companies making dinky little machines that are going to bid on those contracts. Heather Gerken, do do we have a formal democracy and not what we assume to be a fully functional democracy? Were you discouraged in, in, in when you look at the big picture here that we actually are picking the people that we are voting for and all the rest of it. Did, how, what's your sense? I, I mean, I think for the most part, elections are, this is a different set of questions, but elections are generally not that competitive. People win by 25-point margins, which is, you know, seen only in places like the Politburo. There's, you know, generally, it's, it's very hard to lose a seat. The problem is, is that the moment we care the most is usually when the elections are close, when everyone is engaged, everyone's watching, and that's the moment when the system is most likely to break down, because too many voters come to the system, puts too much pressure on it, and it makes it hard for us to know who really won that election and who didn't. It's not like any election system is perfect, so you should never think that every system will work in a perfect way, but it doesn't work as well as it should, and Mm -hmm. and what it means is there's going to be another crisis at some point. We don't know when it will be or where it will be, but we have deferred maintenance on our election system, and at some point, some bridge is going to collapse, some election system is going to break down, and and we deserve better than that in our democracy. Now, now does, does part of this problem go to the other side of the election process, which is reforming the actual, the way that candidates are able to present themselves, forums and uh, the money that's involved in the in, in uh, an election. I know this is more the, this is the logistics, the technical side of it, but is the other side of this, does it, does it exacerbate this side, the, uh, the logistics of it, by having a system that is so weighted in, in, to the advantage of incumbents and money? Yeah, I mean, so I think the basic, I write about both of these things, so I care a lot about both issues, and the, the ways in which they connect are two. First, um, now people understand that controlling the election administration system is another political weapon. That is, you can use your power as secretary of state or local official to make it harder for the other guy's uh, voters to get to the um, cast about and make it easier for yours. Whenever you have a political weapon out there like that, the parties are going to figure out how to load it. So one problem is that 
we're allowed, we are, we've created a system in which you can manipulate it for partisan gain. Does it always affect elections? No. Does it make it harder for voters to cast a ballot in some instances? Yes, and that's really a problem. The second way in, in which it connects is this. You know, secretaries of state and the people who run elections are often people who want to run for another election. So the secretary of state wants to run for governor or for senate or for the house. And right now, if you're a secretary of state, your ability to do that depends entirely on pleasing your party because your party will provide the resources and money to run your next election. It does not depend on performance because we have no information on performance. And it seems to me that we ought to be able to hold secretaries of state and other officials accountable for their missteps so that they care about performance just as much as they care about their own party liking what they do. Um, and the democracy index would provide a corrective. It basically harnesses politics to fix politics. It uses the incentives that already exist that have long frustrated reform, and it realigns those incentives with the interests of citizens to give uh, people at the top a reason to do the right thing. Heather K. Gherkin, just one more question for me. I was wondering, do you see any uh, signs of hope for the future to get a uh, democracy index out there and to get our elections uh, a little bit more on an even keel? I really do, you know, for two reasons. So one is uh, this idea was, as soon as it came out in an editorial form, was put into pending legislation by Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. So those are two smart entrepreneurial politicians who could see that this was the kind of thing that they could get done. Uh, so, And I think, you know, there's some possibility going forward that, that Congress will pass something like this. But the other thing I've learned in talking to election administrators is that there's this new generation of people who are running elections. They're young. They're technically savvy. They care about data-driven management. They care about the right answer. And those people are eventually coming into the system and making it work better. All the best examples in my book come from a set of people who saw how data was used in other places and other government places and corporations and figured out, wow, we could really use this as a tool to make our election systems better, more efficient, to fix things cheaply, to make things work. And those are the people, I think, uh, that are going to lead the way to the future. Right. Well, that's that's that is good news, and it's a great way to end the interview. Uh, Heather K. Gherkin, the book is the the Democracy Index: Why Our Election System Is Failing and How to Fix It. Thank you so much for being here on Weekly Signals. Well, I really appreciate the the time. Thanks very much. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit NathanCallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals.